Okay, let's dive into it. We got a lot going on tonight. Um, we have been in a series in the Gospel of Luke, and tonight we're in Luke 6. Let me just remind you of some of the stuff we've been going over. We've been talking about how Jesus is these things, and going through the Gospel of Luke and finding out who Jesus is, just learning more about him. And we, we've talked about Jesus as the prophesied one. We've talked about Jesus as a, a man. We've talked about how Jesus is worthy of your entire life. And tonight's passage in Luke 6, we are going to be focusing on this. We're going to be focusing on Jesus as a preacher. I know it's probably a, a little bit out there compared to what you thought, but Jesus as a preacher. So go ahead, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 6. I want you to get your eyes on the Word of God tonight, whether that's on your device or, or you have a physical Bible with you. Turn to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be looking in verse 20 tonight. And as you're turning there, I want to lay for us uh, just a quick foundation of, of what preaching is. Or more importantly, I want to talk about why. Why preaching is. So how does preaching fit into the design of God? And if you're taking notes, I'd say there's two things to really know about preaching. When we're talking about God's design for the earth and how it works and how we receive things as humans. And the first one is this. Preaching is necessary to receive the gospel. Preaching is necessary for receiving the gospel. And I want to direct your attention. This is Romans 10. I'm just going to read it. Apostle Paul's writing. He says, How then will they, talking about unbelievers, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What, what Paul is saying there is that the faith that we have in Christ comes through the preaching of God's word. And when we say preaching, we mean spoken, pronunciation, proclamation, heralding of all that God has to say. Right? That's what preaching is. And, and what Paul says there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that you cannot come to know Christ without somebody preaching that to you. Whether that be the, the men that have preached through his word and written this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Like there are people that exist that have like opened the Bible, have read it, and have come to know Jesus for who he is. And that's because of the men that preached it here. Or the preaching that comes in moments like this. How God designed the world. He meant for preaching to be the way in which people would receive his revelation of who he is and what he wants. So, so preaching is uh, instrumental in accepting the gospel. Here's the second thing. Preaching is instrumental in applying the gospel. I want to read from you uh, 2 Timothy, right? So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, who's a pastor. Right? He's encouraging this pastor in Ephesus. And, and he tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
And after coming to our church on the weekends, uh, a couple weekends ago, our pastor talked about bold preaching, how it's one of our core values. And uh, he sort of explained this. So if this sounds familiar, I'm taking it directly from him, okay? Uh, so there's those three words that Paul uses in there, the, the three ways in which we should preach, because these are the three things that the word of God is good for in our lives. And the first one is to reprove. And what that means is to expose or convict, like to expose sin in your life or to convict you of sin. That is the purpose of preaching in your life, one of them, that the Lord would use the preaching to, to cause the word of God to bear on your soul in a way that it would expose your sin. It's not just that we would reprove, but the second word is rebuke. When you rebuke somebody, you are uh, confronting obstinance is the, is the definition, meaning stubbornness. Like to rebuke somebody is to push back against their stubbornness, to push back against the things that they refuse to stop loving, to push back on the things that they are treasuring and holding onto that aren't the things of God. So it's not that just preaching would expose sin in your life, it's that it would constantly push you away from your sin and would drive you to no longer want to do it. That's reprove, rebuke, and then the third thing is exhort, which means to urge righteousness, to encourage. See, it's not just that the word of God preached would, would uh, convict you, would rebuke you, but it urges you towards righteousness. It pushes you in good things towards holiness, to look more like Christ, to live more according to God's will. That's, that's the importance of preaching. That's how God has designed preaching to work in our lives. And, it, you know, we talk about these three C's in the college ministry, right? Like the uh, centered, committed, and confident. Like we can't do these three things without preaching. Because preaching causes us to center our lives around Christ. It, it encourages us towards them. It, it convicts us to commit ourselves to discipleship, both like personal and external. And it most certainly teaches us to be more confident in the word of God, to trust it and to see it and to test it. All right, so that's the foundation of preaching. And the reason that we need to even understand what preaching is, is that we need to know that Jesus was a preacher. When we say he was a preacher, we mean he was doing these things. And we keep on talking about all these qualities of Jesus how he was from the ancient of days and he was prophesied, yet he was a man and, and yet he's worthy of your life to follow as your teacher. But he also had a message. He had a message to preach. He had something that you needed to listen to. And here's what that message is. That's what we're focusing on tonight. Jesus as a preacher and the message that he had to give to us. So look with me. Luke chapter 6, um, we're going to read some big chunks of this, and, and we're just going to break it down as we go. Um, so, chapter 6, let's start in verse 20. This is the beginning of Jesus' message, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's his like, most famous sermon. And Jesus, uh, here it says that he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did the prophets. And then Jesus reverses it. He says, but woe, that means curse, right? Curse upon you, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So it's like a shirt and jacket, right? Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So there's, I mean, we could, we could make a message off each and every single one of these sentences, right? Like we, we could have a whole series, and actually there's plenty of pastors that have whole series dedicated to what's called the Beatitudes right there. But instead, here's what we're going to take. We're going to take this entire passage right here, this entire stream, and see the point that Jesus was getting to to these Jewish people. The overall application, what his message was, it's three points. And the first one taken out of this is to think differently. Jesus is telling the Jewish people, his disciples, that it's time to think differently. Let's just talk about the previous expectation. And I think it's going to sound familiar to you. So the previous expectation of what it meant to live a life for God is that you would experience immense physical blessing. This idea that if you loved God and you followed him and you pursued him, what you would receive is happiness, you'd receive riches, you would receive a full belly, you would receive praise from all those around you. There was this whole concept that if you followed God and did what you were supposed to do, these are the things you would receive. And I think that should sound familiar to you. Because nowadays, that's what culture tells us. Do the right things. Live the right way. And you'll receive happiness and riches. People will speak well to you. Oftentimes, we center our whole life around doing those things, right? But what Jesus is saying is think differently now. He's here to preach this message that things are not going to be the way that they were. I mean, look at, at what he says. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Meaning like, woe to you whose hope is in the fact that you would be wealthy, that you would be prosperous. If that's where your hope lies, if that's what you base your life on, woe to you because you've already received all that you're going to get. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Meaning, woe to you who seek your hope and comfort. To have a full belly. That's the satisfaction of life for you. If that is your hope in life, woe to you. Because you will soon find that that is not enough. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who do nothing but strive over personal happiness that never seek the happiness and good of others, but seek just your own personal happiness. And woe to you 
when all people speak well of you. Woe to you that put your hope in a good reputation. To put your hope in the acceptance of other people. Instead of those things, what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are you who weep now. Meaning, blessed are you that cherish what laughter means. The joy given from God. Blessed are you that understand what it means to, to go through suffering. Blessed are you to, that understand what it means to truly weep over the loss of something treasured. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Like, blessed are you whose happiness, whose joy is not defined by the amount of money in your bank account. Blessed are you whose riches are in Christ, whose riches are found in the only one that can satisfy you. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you that know how to cherish the right moments, the godly moments, the moments of joy. The ones who weep now, that weep for the brokenness of the world, the ones that weep for the things in this world that are not of God. Blessed are you, because when the things of God return to this earth, you will be joyous. And blessed are you when people revile you. Like Blessed is the person who does not worry about their reputation in people's eyes, but instead focus on the standing that they have with God. So Jesus is saying, think differently now. And you can go through the rest of his messages and you can see that. Like he was turning the world upside down. Telling the Pharisees time and time again, I didn't come to heal the righteous, I came to heal the sick. I didn't come with the sword that you think I'm coming with. I didn't come to save who you think I'm saving. Think differently, Jesus says. But that, that's not it, right? I told you there's three points, that's the first one. The second one, Right here, let, let's go ahead and continue on in our, our scripture. We, we left off in, in verse 32. In verse 32, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But... But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he uh, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil but merciful even as your Father is merciful. The second theme of Jesus' preaching is to think inwardly. It's not just that you would think differently, which you can actually see the think differently still permeating that entire passage, right? Like all the things you should do instead of other things. But more than that, he's talking about thinking inwardly as well. I mean, you can see it continues in, in verse 37, right? He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what Jesus is saying, you need to think inwardly. It's not just what you're doing. It's the measure in which you do it. It's the motivation that you have towards it. Why are you doing the things that you are doing? 
And he uses these to expose it, right? Like to love somebody that loves you, that's easy. That's not a good motivation. If you're truly thinking inwardly about what would be godly, the motivation is not I'm just going to love those that make me feel good, but I'm going to love unconditionally and regardless. Think inwardly. Because we, we have this tendency not to. So, so when Calvin and I, um, like we get together almost every week and we talk about, like I, I review his worship leading, we talk about our worship culture, and uh, one of the things that I really press in him not to do uh, as a worship leader, particularly like in our big groups on Sundays, one of the things that, that I want him not to do is I don't want him to address everybody as a you guys or an all. Right? Now, sometimes we do for particular reasons, but when we're speaking directly to somebody, one of the things that, that I try to do and, and that we would try to do as a worship department is to say you rather than you guys or everyone. And why is that? It's because we already naturally try to make things ambiguous so they don't apply to us. We already naturally think about how this message could really be impacting the person to my left and to my right, but it's not for me. And even when I'm preaching, I try to say you or me because I want you to understand this is for each and every single one of us because our tendency is not to think inwardly, but to think outwardly. And I can't do any more for you than just preach the word, tell you to do it, and trust the Spirit is going to cause that in you. But think inwardly about the reason that you do the things you do. Jesus was more concerned with the heart than the actions. And you'll see that time and time again as he starts talking about the Pharisees being whitewashed tombs and all these other things. Like, you'll see time and time again in Jesus' preaching that he didn't want you just to think differently. He wanted you to think inwardly. And then there's this last point. And the last point's driven from this, this last little bit of the verse. So look back at verse 39 with me. He also told them a parable, so a story, right? Sort of like a riddle, almost, to be honest. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So you can already see still that, that inward thinking, right? Like that focusing on yourself. This just backs up that point. But I don't want you to miss this assumption that's happening in this. And that assumption is that you are thinking kingdom-minded. It's not just that you're thinking differently. It's not just that you're thinking inwardly, but it's that you're thinking kingdom-minded. Like, look back at that passage. It assumes, it is innate in it, that there will be other people who you are aiding in their sanctification. It assumes that there will be moments that you are speaking to your brother about their sin. That you are on a deep enough conversation with other people to aid them in their sanctification and their discipleship. Jesus' preaching always led to the discipleship of not only yourself, but to those around you as well. 
yes, we are supposed to think differently. We're supposed to think inwardly. But we do that alongside the kingdom and alongside the disciples around us. God did not design holiness to be a solo sport. Holiness is a team sport. We're meant to live alongside one another. And you can see that all throughout Jesus' message. Love one another, treat one another, think about one another. That's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, your heart, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus most certainly concerned himself with those things. And and I want to leave you with this question. This is just a a question that convicted me this week that I want to share with you. It relates to this passage, um, and it hits on all these points in in different ways. Um, I told you I was at this intensive, right, Um, with a whole bunch of pastors. And one of the things that that Platt said to us was, um, in your preaching, are you more concerned with the disinfection of Christians rather than the discipleship of Christians. And what he was asking us is like, are we more concerned that we would just disinfect you of your sin rather than grow you in discipleship along other people and to look more like Christ? But I think that question can be applied personally. I think you can ask yourself, am I more focused on disinfecting myself of sin and only that than I am my personal discipleship and the discipleship of others. Which one motivates me more? Because clearly in Jesus' preaching, it's meant to be both. So I pray that impacts you. If you want to talk more about it, more than welcome to. Um, I, uh, I just want us to see that while Jesus is all these things, right? He's a man. He's the prophesied one. He's worthy of your life. He did have something to say too. He had something to say, and oftentimes we try to forget that, or we let it go too ambiguous, right? Too ambiguous and not let it impact us.